Good morning, dear saints, and Lenten tide blessings. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Monday, February 19th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today we open up Deuteronomy chapter 9 which serves as a humbling reminder to the Israelites of their reliance on God's grace rather than their own righteousness. Moses speaks to the people, emphasizing that their imminent entry and conquest of the promised land are not due to their own virtue, but because of the wickedness of the nations being displaced and the fulfillment of the promise that God made to their ancestors. He recounts their rebelliousness since leaving Egypt, including the profound incident of the golden calf, which underscores the theme of God's mercy and patience despite our human failings. Well, whether it's over the air, online at kfuo.org, or using the KFUO app, or maybe on your smart speaker or as a podcast, no matter how you're joining us this morning, thank you for tuning in. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, Learn more at lhfmissions.org. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo, send me a friend request. Okay, today's guest is the Reverend Martin Schulteis. He's the Chief Ministry Officer of the Southeastern District of the LCMS. Good morning, Pastor Schulteis, and welcome back to the program. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. How are things in the southeastern district, which, of course, is uh, my home district where I was, was first from? How are things going down there for you guys? It's going wonderful. It's a great district to be in. We cover uh, a touch of Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, D.C., Virginia, North and South Carolina. So it's a big stretch of land, 33 million people. Uh, but it's a, it's a great place to be. I mean, we have people enjoying the beach, the mountains, the cities. Um, <laughs> And it's a great place to connect people with Jesus and uh, constantly seeing lives transform and God's kingdom grow. It's a wonderful place to serve. Well, I know that uh, especially where I'm from, which is North Carolina, uh, particularly the western part of North Carolina, you know, there's, um, you know, Lutheranism doesn't exactly have a big hold down there like it does in the Midwest. So, you know, I've always prayed uh, since, uh, you know, I guess, uh, transitioning into a Lutheran myself, I've always prayed that more people could hear the pure gospel that comes from our confession because um, we have a lot of brothers and sisters, even in Christ down there, who's, well, let's just say, you know, who's who's preaching and teaching that they're receiving, unfortunately, I think burdens them more than frees them. So I, I, just, I just pray that not only do people find Christ through your ministry, but hopefully find that pure gospel that we offer through our confession. Yeah, I think, uh, well, throughout the country, but especially on the East Coast, where my heart's always been, uh, the need to hear the grace of God is uh, is so necessary. And we've got a lot of wonderful churches and church workers out here that are, that are doing just that. And so we just pray that their reach continues to grow and more people are able to be touched by that grace. Well, one last question before we dive into what we're here today for. Um, 
You know, my dad, who lives in Western North Carolina, he has to drive an hour to church, and certainly he does it. Um, but, you know, it'd be nice to, to, to know about any church planning efforts that you guys have. I mean, is the, are they just in the cities, or are they out in the country, too, or in the mountains? I mean, I know you have a big swath of land, but uh, how, how are church plannings going? Yeah, well, I think uh, your dad should give us a call, and we can go ahead and start working with him to do a church plan in his area. We've, we've got, actually, we've got uh, two in the Charlotte area um, that are just uh, beginning. We've got um, many in the D.C. greater area among a lot of immigrants, uh, a lot of folks from uh, Ethiopia, Eritrea coming over, and they are they are already Lutheran and starting churches here and then able to connect with other immigrants who aren't Lutheran, uh, but are uh, attracted to uh, the gospel as we proclaim it. Um, actually, we were just talking about uh, Western Virginia, we've got church plant possibility out there. So really we are, we are willing to work with uh, whatever, group may have a desire, have a vision to, to plant a church. I, I, we're excited about some of the things that are popping up all over the district. That's wonderful. I appreciate you guys' work. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we get right into it? Cause that's, we're here for Deuteronomy chapter nine. Um, would you lead us in a prayer brother before we continue? I'd love to. Um, oh, father of all graciousness, your love endures forever. And we are just thankful that in spite of our own uh, personal wickedness and stubbornness, none of the yes yet, O oh Lord, you meet us with your grace and your son intercedes on our behalf. So may we be open, O oh Lord, to all the gifts of your grace that you pour out upon us. And may we also go forth, Lord, uh, bringing that grace to the world around us. In the blessed name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are, Deuteronomy chapter 9, and the Israelites are getting ready to cross over uh, the Jordan, and Moses is, I guess, you know, in his series of speeches or sermons here, he's continuing to prepare this new generation for following after God's will. Any way you want to set up our text for today, or you just want to dive right in? Yeah, I mean, it's a fun, it's a, it, it's a, it's a fun time for the people uh, now. This is that that newer generation and uh, Moses has been with them uh, the whole time and prepped and ready. And here they are uh, close to the Jordan river. It's, it's exciting. They've, they've gone, they've gone through quite a trial uh, through the wilderness and uh, to be at the end of that uh, 40 year journey and to receive um, what God has promised. You can imagine the, the energy and, the angst, um, and Moses takes advantage of the opportunity. Kind of has, says, "This is again. It's it's that older generation that kind of died out who who first received it. Now he's bringing it to this generation. So, okay, guys, reminder: this this is what we're about. This is what God has given us. This is what the Lord has commanded. These are His promises, and um, it's it's kind of like go forth sermon, right? Uh, to, <laughs> to 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 send them into uh, this this new uh, vision that God has for them. So, exciting time. Well, let's dig in then. 
chapter 9, verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, Who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is Yahweh your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, as Yahweh has promised you. Do not say in your heart, after Yahweh your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that Yahweh has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh your God is driving them out from before you. And he may confirm the word that Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. All right, folks, that's the end of verse 5. So I, I love this because we talked a little bit at the very beginning, I mentioned about, you know, becoming a Lutheran. And as you, as you look through here, we see a, and I'm going to say a Lutheran principle, but obviously it's a biblical principle. Here we are in Deuteronomy, but this idea that even the things that are blessings to us, or even our good works, or even our mighty works in this case, it's God who's working those through us. And we're going to see some examples from God about how, yeah, you haven't always relied on me in the past. But yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating how he says two things. I'm working and you're going in to drive them out. But behind it all is, of course, God's action. Take us through this, brother. I mean, what, what what's going on on the ground here? Yeah, I, I think you uh, I hit the nail on the head in that sense. It's it's this reminder. You're about ready to go in. Um, I'm going to give you this whole land and this this promise is big. I mean, who can get who gets a promise like that? I mean, it's just, just you know, you have to fight for for land, uh, you know, throughout this time period. But God said, I'm going to do the fighting for you. I'm going to bring you in. Uh, I'm, I'm this consuming fire and they they've known God as fire, but it's going to consume the, the enemies. And but he has to make it clear this isn't because of you. Okay, you haven't done anything to earn this. Uh, you haven't. Uh, you haven't deserved it. Uh, matter of fact, it's just he—he's already told that in one way. I, just in chapter seven, he was like, "Would I do this? It's not because you're a great nation." Uh, mm-hmm. Now he's kind of saying, "Because I do this, it's not because you're a good nation. Uh, you're neither—you're neither great in size, nor are you, uh, nor are you righteous." Uh, but I'm doing this because of my own purposes, and um, and I'm and there is a wickedness among the people, and so there's a justice that's going on. So it's not just that you know I'm just wiping out of people um, who don't deserve to be uh, wiped out. In that sense, there is justice going on. There's wickedness, and they'll be called to account. But I'm using it to benefit you. I'm not doing it because you're righteous and they're wicked. Uh, they they will uh, suffer out of their wickedness, uh, but you are not being blessed out of your righteousness. Uh, because what the fun thing about this chapter is he'll go on to show them their own wickedness. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but at this point, um, they are reserving what is just uh, for them. Uh, but for you, I'm doing this uh, because of me and because of the plans that I have uh, that are related to the promise. And so we often go back to that promise. Uh, God made a promise uh, to Abraham that God passed down to Isaac that God passed down to Jacob and um, God's a God of his word and um, his promises are yes. And so even with this people who are neither great nor righteous, um, God nonetheless is faithful. And I love how Moses, or inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses, predicts, and rightly, because he's been dealing with this, exactly the things that they're going to be worried about. And, and we remember the spies. because you know, He says, you're getting ready to go in, and these guys are bigger, mightier. They, they, they're giants. You know, they remind you of the Anakim. You know, he says, listen, Yahweh, your God, is a consuming fire. So I love that he's... It's a contrapuntal, right? He's he's anticipating the things that they're going to be worried about and just cautions them from the beginning. But then, and we've brought this up pretty much almost every episode because it's a prevailing theme, but here's God wiping out all these people. And, and, and here, other places too, but here especially, it's explicit. They are wicked. As you said, this is justice. This isn't God saying, oh, I don't like these people, so I'm going to exterminate them. It is God saying, these people have hardened their hearts and become enemies to me, and therefore they're going to reap the rewards of their sin. But lest the Israelites, of course, become prideful, he says, but you guys aren't exactly, you know, pure as the wind-driven snow. Yeah, and what's what's interesting is that, um, so I remember uh, conversations with uh, uh, a Jehovah Witness who used to point out, you know, if you don't behave, God's going to wipe you out like he did all everyone else. The, the truth of the matter is, in the Old Testament, everyone gets wiped out by death. But God uses death in a spectacular way at certain times to push forth the purpose of life. Uh, right? I mean, the truth is, all these Israelites are going to end up dying as well, but which is, you know, justice for all of our wickedness. Uh, but he's using this death to bring forth a plan that will erase death and, and bring forth life. And so in a sense, he kind of redeems uh, a death that everyone in that land was already going to face. Uh, but, but he makes, he brings redemptive value to it uh, as he brings his people in there to push forth uh, the plan to bring someone who will overcome death for all. I'm just, uh, I'm just basking in the point that you made. I think it's great. I, you know, and I hadn't thought of that too. You know, death is the consequences of sin from the beginning. Death was coming for these people and all people anyway. And yet God's justice here against their wickedness, his favor toward the Israelites is leading to the conquering of death for all people. What a wow! That's a great point. Yeah, it really, it really is. In the end, it becomes a blessing for all nations. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's keep on going. I'm going to start with six. <clears throat> Just adding this to the conversation. We can always go back if we have to. Here we go. Know therefore that Yahweh your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness 
for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked Yahweh your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against Yahweh. Even at Horeb, you provoked Yahweh to wrath, and Yahweh was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that Yahweh made with you, I remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and Yahweh gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that Yahweh had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of forty days and forty nights, Yahweh gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then Yahweh said to me, Arise and go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. All right, pausing there at the end of 12. So, yeah, so yeah, the turn's pretty quick. You know, he doesn't take long in this sermon for him to say, yeah, but, you know, don't, don't get too full of yourselves. Remember how rebellious you were. But here's the thing. These people, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, sir. These people weren't the ones who made the golden idol, right? This is a new generation. Yeah, it is. So I often think about it. So that was 40 years ago. So a lot of these people would be the children, right? Um, and most likely, uh, many of them present at the time as kids watching their parents do it. Um, then new newborns since then as well, who, who just heard the stories of it. But I do, I do, I do like what Moses does is, I mean, there's, we get a, we get both ways in scripture. One, you are accountable to your own sin, you know, um, and you know, your sons don't pay for the sins of the father, but then in a sense, there is a, an accountability to the sin of the fathers. I, I think about, you know, it's going to be generations and generations. Daniel um, is going to cry out for forgiveness and uh, for the sins of the people um, at the time. And he will, he will pray for forgiveness for the generations bef before him. And kind of in that sense of uh, we are related to a sin that goes from our parents and our grandparents and all the way back. Um, and, 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 and we can cry out for forgiveness for it all. Um, at the same time, he is saying it wasn't just then. It's been up to this day that there's been complaining and stubbornness. And I, I think also um, Moses is, is, you know, thinking about the future. It's not going to stop either. I mean, ultimately, the, the story of the Old Testament uh, after they get into the promised land is the story gets repeated time and time again. Uh, it's just it's what people are. And I think he's just drawing this generation and then understanding that they too are they too are people um, and and stubbornness, wickedness, sinfulness is part of what we are. And, you know, it's not been too long since we covered Deuteronomy 6, and we, we talked about the duty of parents to raise up their children in these statutes and rules that I'm giving you today. And I think you're right, because 
while children aren't necessarily going to be punished for the sins of the father in a direct sense, God's been clear throughout scripture, not only of parents' duty to raise up their children in the faith, because if they don't, then they will just live in rebellion. So therefore they are kind of paying for the sins of their fathers. But at the same time, yeah, these people, the, the golden calf incident is kind of an epitome of all of their rebellion, which as you rightly pointed out, continues up to this very point where they're getting ready to cross over. So, so Moses' sermon is uh, very appropriate because he's saying, listen, you are poor, miserable sinners, <laughs> uh, to it. use our term. And so be on guard against the wickedness that you've done, that your parents have done, all the way back to Adam and Eve when you go into this land. Don't don't yeah, take like, credit for yourselves. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like he's just he's just lifting up the veil here to say, Hey, before you get full of yourselves, let let me show you what God's chosen people even look like. And you lift up the veil and say, Oh yeah, okay, this is not so good after all. This is a lesson for us too, as we as we, you know, find ourselves sometimes critical of other brothers and sisters in Christ, or frankly, even the unbelievers, you know, and it, we can be critical, but it, it doesn't do us any good if we're not sharing with them the 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 gospel, uh, law, God's law and gospel that brings them to repentance, including ourselves. So, yeah, they're going to see, they're going to be tempted, basically, to say, yep, we're very special, and God loves us more than anybody else in the world. That's why he killed these people. And in fact, it wasn't even him. It was because we went in and did it. Those are all the temptations they're facing. Yeah, it's like it's like sitting in a sermon uh, in church, listening to a sermon, and you hear a preacher talk about you know the sins of the world, and you're like, yeah, people need to hear that. And then the sermon <laughs> takes a turn, and it's about you, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> that's right, Atahayish, you are the man. Well, and and you, I know you've experienced it too. Someone coming down the aisle, oh, pastor, I just really appreciated that sermon. I know people who really need to hear it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, well, one, me, the preacher needs to hear it. And so do you. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I tell you what, we're at a good time to take a little bit of a pause. So we will, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Schulteis and I will keep on going through Deuteronomy chapter 9. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me this morning is the Reverend Martin Schulteis. He's the Chief Ministry Officer of the Southeastern District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Don't forget, folks, that you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right, P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or also on Facebook, just search me, Phil Boo. You can send me a friend request or send me a message. And you can send me your questions, comments, and more. I try to reply 
Uh, and we're not live today, unfortunately, but when we are live, you can always call into the show, 1-800-730-2727. So write that down for next time. All right. Well, getting right back into the text, brother, he uh, goes right into the golden calf incident because that's going to be, the, as we said, the epitome of, of their sinfulness. It's just, it represents, I guess, probably the deepest the deepest rebellion that they've had in the wilderness where they literally give credit to a golden idol. Well, it depends on how you look at it. We'll take it apart here in a minute, but, but for God's work. And, and we're going to see that um, this is something God's warning them about starting with verse 13. It looks like I'll probably read down to 21. Furthermore, Yahweh said to me, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and I came down from the mountain and the mountain was burning with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked and behold, you had sinned against Yahweh your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way Yahweh had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before Yahweh. As before, forty days and forty nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of Yahweh to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that Yahweh bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you. But Yahweh listened to me that time also. And Yahweh was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and I burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was a fine, till it was fine as dust. And I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain. That's the end of 21. All right, so let's... <laughs> Let's look at this. You know, one thing I've always had in the back of my mind, and we can get there when you want to, but is his his breaking of the tablets. Um, to me, I, I get that it symbolizes the broken covenant, but he's holding in his hands tablets written with the finger of God. That almost seems pretty sinful in and of itself. And <laughs> as Moses preaches, it, it, it he separates himself from the people's sin. I, I don't know. How do we reconcile that? Yeah, as, as, as a, so that's interesting. What came to mind as I was looking at the, this week was even pushing it a little bit further because um, on the one hand, it symbolized what the people did. But Moses, of course, here and throughout the rest of the chapter, it really is um, becomes a Christ-like figure. He becomes the intercessor, right? on behalf of the people. Um, and, and so keeping that in mind, okay, so if Moses is, is a prefiguring of, of Christ in this, maybe the breaking of the tablets is, could also be related to the fulfillment of the law um, and being broken from the bondage of the law. That, and so this, maybe this is also um, foreshadowing uh, what will happen in Christ? You know, every everything here is is little, you know, from the Passover um, 
on going through the the, the water of the sea, uh, the manna, all of this is just is just pointing forward to the greater gift that God gives. And so, I, I, for me, I was I, I'd, I'd be interested in what you thought. You know, could could this relate to what will ultimately happen in Christ with fulfilling the law and breaking the bonds that it has on us? I think that's a, a fascinating way to look at it. I'm yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure because honestly, I've struggled with this. I, it, it seems to me, it, and now Moses is absolutely not sinless. In fact, we know he's not even able to go into the promised land. But when he's proclaiming here, he's definitely doing it from a what we might call from seminary a first to second person discourse. Right? He's speaking. Not just like relating what God says, but really representing God. He's the vicar of God. And, and you talked about, you know, him being in this Christ position. So I, I do see that in this instance, we're connecting these breaking of the tablets, not to him being throwing a temper tantrum or a temper tantrum or being uh, sinfully angry, but but genuinely a a response to what they have done. They have literally turned away from God and so quickly and for no reason. And so, you know, that covenant is broken by the people's rebellion. Now, with that said, though, yeah, I I can see that the, yeah, I just have a hard time fitting into that narrative because, because it's, it's all done in, in righteous anger as opposed to like a, a future fulfillment. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's yeah, interesting. I, I, again, I don't, I, I think like with a lot of the old Testament guys, they don't always know what they're doing when they do it or the <laughs> meanings that'll come out of it. Ultimately, either way, what the people will need is a release from the law because they will never fulfill it. They will never keep what's on those tablets. And so, um, what they will need is for those tablets to be broken. Um, and, wonder, and that's what Christ does. Yeah, and I wonder too, and this is pure speculation, folks. This isn't thus saith the Lord by any stretch of the imagination. I wonder also if there is part of Moses here, and I don't want to say naive, but if you spend 40 days on the mountain with God, you are literally nourished just by his presence, no food or water. And you have this amazing theophany and you experience God's righteousness and he writes. And, and some people have said that these stones were sapphire tablets. And I don't, I, I don't know. And I think it's interesting, but it makes it all the more ethereal and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you come down the mountain and it, part of you is like, if everyone experienced what I experienced, there's no way they would ever rebel against God. And he literally comes down the mountain and they're dancing around a golden idol. Right. So, so I think there was a realization for him, not just like in anger, I'm destroying these and not just, and this is, I think going into your point, but there's a realization for Moses that says, these people aren't going to be able to do this, you know, and, and maybe he, he's, of course he isn't either. Nobody is, but, but in his position, I mean, we've all experienced Maybe even a sermon, maybe after a time in prayer, maybe after reading the scriptures. We've all, I think, experienced this time when we're like, we have this aha moment and we're just like, if everybody could come to this realization that I came to, they would be so much better off. And so he's literally coming down and this just, oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it is yeah. a tough situation. And the, the irony is that they had just experienced the closest connection to God um, 
one of the closest ones, if not the closest one that we'll see in the Old Testament. They they heard his voice from the mountain. There it was, and um, and yet their response, <laughs> their response after getting that close to God, um, is to turn that far away from him. Now, one of the things we talked about on this show um, when we were covering Exodus, um, which would be Exodus 32 for this incident, that uh, the golden calf, and this is just an aside, I don't think it really furthers the point, but the golden calf was likely considered to be, um, I guess, a, a throne of God or an altar of God. So it wasn't so much that they were saying this metal object saved us, but rather they were creating for God an unauthorized throne, an unauthorized pedestal. So they still were saying that Yahweh was the one doing it, but they were worship, worshiping him in a way that, that he had not commanded and in a way <laughs> that uh, was repulsive to him. Um, so I, I, thought, I always thought that was interesting too. It, basically, the sin here isn't a complete rebellion against God in the sense that they just suddenly don't believe in him, but rather they're trying to capture him in this idol as opposed to the juxtaposition of God showing them exactly how they can worship him in those, in those uh, statutes that were coming down the mountain. This is what you as my people are going to look like. I don't know, just something I always think is interesting and worth bringing up. Yeah, cer- certainly, certainly. Well, he said then he laid prostrate before the Lord again, 40 days and 40 nights. So, you know, this is two rounds of this 40 days and 40 nights. And he was afraid because Yahweh was ready to destroy them, specifically destroy Aaron. And he prayed for Aaron. Um, interestingly enough, he burns the this, this, this calf, this idol they made, which suggests that it was likely... Uh, wooden with gold around it. Um, I don't know what you have an opinion on it. I don't know that it matters, but he burns it. He grinds it up very small and he throws it into the brook. Well, what is that? What might that represent? Yeah. Do we get a picture of baptism there? The water washes, washes it away. Oh, I like that. I like that. I mean, I do know that it's at Massah where they complained about the lack of water, and now he's pouring in basically the dust of their mm-hmm. sins into the water they that you know that they complained about. But I mean, absolutely, we see this this washing away of that sin. Oh yeah, I love that. What else about and, this section maybe stands out, or even that? I do, I just think it's uh, uh, interesting. To, I, we really don't hear an Exodus that. Um, Moses spent another 40 days and 40 nights not eating or drinking after um, he threw the tablets. And part of that, again, the 40 days, 40 nights is, you know, again, important in, in many stories. And we see that in Christ. We see the importance of bread. and We see the importance of water. But I also wonder if it's a little bit of a dig at the people because their other sins throughout the journey have been crying out for bread and crying out for water. And now Moses has said, listen, twice I've gone 40 days without bread and water, and I was fine. You guys complained about it the whole way. <laughs> that's true. God provided, and you guys didn't trust God to provide. And that's really important as they're getting ready to go into a place where, because of war, they're probably going to have some hard times. Yeah. One other thing that's not mentioned in this recounting of the golden calf is the fact that he made them drink it. 
he made them drink from the water that he that he threw it into. Um, again, a, a penitential act, at least in Exodus. Uh, here, it's it's less refined, but it's just sort of throwing it into the brook. But yeah, we know from uh, the uh, from Exodus that he actually made them drink it. So I, I see both, and I see this idea of this penitential act, this sort of there being a, a, this an ablution, but also an absolution. But then here, I, I like that connection to baptism that you made. Yeah, right. And it's interesting that Moses doesn't bring up that part of it here. Um, maybe even Moses had some regrets that maybe I should have made him drink it. Yeah, that was, that's, I mean, <laughs> it's like washing their mouth out with soap, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I always thought that seemed a little heavy handed too. But at, at the same time, I mean, I mean, it's not like he made them eat the ashes and just drink the water from which he right. threw the ashes in. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting detail that he definitely leaves out here. That's for sure. Hmm. Well, all right, well, let's keep on going, starting with verse 22. At Taberah also, and at Massah, and at Kibroth Hatava, you provoked Yahweh to wrath. And when Yahweh sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and take possession of the land that I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of Yahweh your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against Yahweh from the day I knew you. Let's pause there before we keep on going because he's going to go back and talk about laying prostrate. But yeah, you've been rebellious from the day I knew you. Moses is angry here. I, I don't think we can see, I, even though even though this is a new generation, he's letting them know that they can't even think, well, we're better than our forefathers because they, they, they sin in the same ways. Yeah. Ultimately the people are going to be left with no choice, but to recognize that God is gracious to them. Um, the wickedness of uh, the nations that he's going to wipe out, the wickedness of their parents, and um, they're they're no better. Um, you know, it's 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 really Moses is attacking every little bit of pride that might be left, um, so that they recognize it. It's, it's if we get anything, is really out of out of the graciousness of God. Um, because we really, we really are a rotten bunch, and and I, and again, you mentioned it before. It, it really does make that confession at the at the beginning of the liturgy so so true for every generation. I poor miserable sinner, um, it's just the lot of uh, there's there's not there's not one of them right who's righteous who's there's there's not one of them among among men. Uh, we all fall to this lot. You know, before we even started, I talked a little bit about growing up in Western North Carolina and growing up in a, uh, you know, pretty varied religious area, but not very Lutheran. And one of the things that I think people take offense to if they come into, say, a Lutheran service, uh, besides maybe the sacraments, if they're not sacramental, but is the idea that this whole you are poor, miserable sinners and the confession and absolution that we do corporately, I, I know that that's something that they take offense to. Um, and I had a, ba a Baptist pastor friend of mine say, 
Well, you know, we believe we're sinners too, but we don't dwell on it as much as you Lutherans, <laughs> which I would contest, by the way, because I've heard their sermons. But the point is, there is nothing wrong with acknowledging our sin before God. And we live in a world where everybody, and I know I'm being broad brush here, but everybody kind of wants to pretend like they don't sin. Or even if I'm a Christian, it's like, well, if if I if I admit to the fact that I um, need God's grace, that sometimes I fall in even to temptation, that somehow it's going to disqualify us from being Christians. But that's what being God's people is about, recognizing our sin, not denying it, and then, of course, coming to the cross with those sins. Yeah, I, I, th- I think a lot of people struggle. I mean, we people like a reward system, um, and they want to figure out how to get into that reward system. And so if I'm better than others, then that, that's, that's probably the, my best chance of forgetting that if you break one thing, you've broken the whole, broken the whole law. And I think even, um, even among uh, others, there's a sense of, well, God's, this kind of goes back to the beginning. I'm, I'm not giving you the land because you're righteous. Um, I'm just bringing my justice on others, and you just happen to be uh, receiving the benefits of it. And that's not because of your own doing, because you're a wicked bunch as well. It's just that's the promise that I made, that I made out of out of my grace. And so even now, you know, the 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 blessings that we get from God um, aren't even because. We have been made righteous, but he's his making us righteous is the gift, uh, right? So it's not because I have faith. Uh, I have faith because he's given it to me, um, because his because I have become aware of his promise and his faithfulness. Um, he's not he's not rewarding me, and. Um, and that's hard for people to get to, but once we finally get there, it's actually the most freeing thing of all. Yeah, oh, uh, 100%. I mean, that really actually reflects my journey to Lutheranism. You know, when you're burdened with, you have to be baptized the right way. You have to give your heart to Jesus in the right way. You have to, you know, do all this stuff the right way. It becomes very works-oriented even though I know that most of these folks in their hearts believe that Christ saves them, but yet the way we interact with Christ sometimes betrays that. You know, we think we're trying to work our way into heaven. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with striving to live the Christian life. In fact, it's really required of the Christian to strive to follow God's will, but not for salvation. And so it's the same message, right? You're not being saved because of anything special within you. You're being saved because of me, because of the covenant, because of the promise that I made that the Savior would come. That's why forgiveness is free. The gospel is just about letting people know the forgiveness that they already have. You know, it's not about going and trying to convince people that you have to jump through all these hoops and God will finally save you. It's just telling them what Jesus has done. And, and if they have faith in that, then they're, they're not rejecting that gift. But yeah, I can definitely see I can definitely see those same themes here, and, and and that's exactly why I believe that Moses is telling them this is continuing that overarching message of God that He is the one that will save. In this in these last days, we're still looking for the promised land in the new heavens and the new earth, and no one gets in there because of 
anything other than what God has done for them through Christ. Yeah. Well, let's add some more verses, or actually the rest of our verses, to the conversation. And we'll start with 25, then read through the end, which is 29. Moses continues, So I lay prostrate before Yahweh for these 40 days and 40 nights, because Yahweh had said that he would destroy you. And I prayed to Yahweh, O Lord Yahweh, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because Yahweh was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. So that ends this chapter. And by the way, it doesn't even close to end the the narrative here. In fact, he continues to talk about the new tablets of stone in the next chapter. But this is where we're going to end for today. So he's saying, I intercess between you and the people. And and this is where his his Christ-likeness or his being a type of the Christ really comes into focus. Right, brother? It really does. Um, And and so that kind of be comes like a distinguishing mark between the nations and this people. Uh, you're all wicked, uh, but this people has an intercessor. Um, and that's what you need. I mean, it's, we, we all need all, all the wicked of the earth. We need an intercessor or a mediator, someone, someone to step in on our behalf. And Moses does that in a, in a partial way here, uh, foreshadowing one who will do it fully. And, um, and, and, and I love how he does it. He simply reflects uh, back to God his promises. He's not, he, he's not coming up with the, um, uh, but God, look at me. Uh, I'm good enough, uh, so can't you save them? Um, God, God had in uh, verse 12, uh, the Lord had told Moses, Arise, go down quickly from here for your people, whom you brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. And Moses in 26 turns that around and, and said, well, I prayed to the Lord, oh Lord God, destroy not your people <laughs> and, and, and your heritage whom you redeemed uh, through your greatness. Um, in a sense, recognizing their, and maybe this was humbling for Moses, who maybe he did think that they were his people for a little bit and then thought, I, I can't carry this people. Uh, these are not my mm. people. These are your people, um, oh Lord. Um, I mean, but the, I, th- I, I sorry to interject. I just wanted to, yeah, on that point, yeah, because you, you said back in twelve, you know, arise, go down quickly for your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, acted corruptly. You know, that's that's God. I mean, when God gets angry with the people, it often turns to, you know, not my people, but your people, and, and that's really indicative of, of. My people don't sin like this. If you want to be my people, you don't act like this. Then you're just, you might as well be Moses's people. Uh, Moses, I mean, sorry, Yahweh giving, you know, the credit to Moses for taking them out of Egypt and and now saying that they're your people. And here, and I I love what you said, Moses is like, don't, they're not my people. (laughs) They're they're your people, but not in a sinful way, in a, in a, well, maybe a little sinful way. He is a sinner, but, but, but much, much more in a, 
you know, we really want you to be our God. We really want you to be our God. Yes, we're poor, miserable sinners, but God, you, we really want to be your people. But that means something. Yeah. And I always like to think about the story behind the story, too. What else is going on here? And I, and I think about maybe what God is doing with Moses as well, that um, maybe this is part of forming Moses um, more into the image of God himself, that, that Moses, if, if he's going to be an instrument of God, he's got to take on God's characteristics that, that much more. And so, so God is providing an opportunity for Moses to die to himself many ways um, and to really bear this, this burden and this pain and this heartache and, um, and, and, and to lift this up to God. I, in, in the Exodus account, we get Moses even saying, you know, God, if you're not going to do it, strike my name. I'll blot my name out of that, that book of life that you have. And, um, and, and I think that's one of the points where, where Moses gets that close to what, um, to being formed into uh, an image of, of the one who actually will um, kind of have his name blotted out. You know, Christ suffers uh, that, that, that full sense of, of death, damnation, um, before overcoming it. Um, where, where Moses was willing, uh, Jesus actually went. And, and so I wonder if God's not also using this to form Moses to understand what love really means, uh, because you've got to be willing to, I mean, this is, this is Moses' enemies in this sense. They've turned against him. They've turned against God. And instead of, of, of fighting against them and taking God's uh, um, option of starting over with him, uh, this, is a, this is a move of, even, if, even in the anger, it's still a move of compassion. Mm -hmm. um, Lord, we need to save this people. And we need to save the people because of the promise. I love that part. You know, when we pray to God, I think we're tempted, and I know I am. Um, you know, if, if I say, you know, I, well, I haven't served others as I should have, and Lord, I promise I'll do better. <laughs> well, well, that's nice, but that's not uh, the thing upon which our salvation relies. And, and we see here, he doesn't say we promise to do better, although, you know, hopefully they will try to do better, but he says, remember your servants, right? Don't even regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness. Remember the heritage, you know, whom you brought out. And he talks about the, his, God's power and his outstretched arm, which is a reference to the plagues. He, he, you know, it's, it's, it's less, Lord, if, if, if you forgive me, then I, I'll, I'll never do this again. And it's much more about, Lord, just remember your promises through Jesus and by your power, conform me to your will. It's a better tactic, I think, in sense of striving to live as God wants you to live, to not rely on yourself, but to cling to Christ more and more. And then by virtue of that, you know, the fruits of your faith will be, will be increased, of course, until Christ returns when it's perfected. But yeah, I just love how, you know, he's appealing to God's character and God's covenant. And, and that's what I think we should do more. 
Yeah. And, and, and not only for ourselves, but for others, right? Because now, I mean, that's, that's the fun thing is if Moses is in any way, a Christ figure, uh, mediating, interceding, calling on God to remember his promises, calling on God saying, remember, this is your people. Oh God, your heritage. Uh, we who, um, have Christ in us who are Christians, right? Little Christ. Isn't that our call that much more that instead of looking at the world and condemning and um, uh, pointing out the wickedness and 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 calling on God's wrath to 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 take care of that and maybe to start fresh with us, um, our our call is is the same, Lord. Um, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, uh, not just for me, poor, miserable sinner, uh, but uh, interceding on behalf of, of this world, O oh Lord, um, that is yours. These are your people. This world is your people. And I think as we intercede on behalf of the nations, uh, we're following in the way of Moses here with this chosen people, and we are we are being um, formed and molded into the image of Christ ourselves. I think that's a great point. I like that. I mean, it, it's you know, if we were to say, "Lord, destroy all these wicked people," <laughs> well, we don't want that. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for, but but instead, yes, we pray for all people according to their needs, right? And um, and and some people, including ourselves, uh, all people, I guess, need forgiveness. Uh, some people need to you know, have their hearts softened. Some people need to have uh, the, the 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 gospel preached to them, which is you know God uses us for that. But yeah, I love that point that we're ending it on. And here we are at the end of the show too. Just I'm going to give you the last few minutes to let the folks know whatever you want before we wrap up. Yeah, I would I, I would just say I really enjoyed this chapter. You know, every, every chapter. Um, has its own like little flavor to it, but for God to use use Moses here in this part of his sermon to remind uh, not just the people, but to remind us uh, that you know, create in us all clean hearts, O God, renew right spirits in all of us. Uh, there's not one that stands above the other. Uh, we all need that grace, and uh, as we all need that grace. Let me also uh, look to my neighbor and pray that God has grace on them too, uh, because ultimately God has a promised land uh, that He wants to bring us all into, and it's 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 going to be glorious, um, not because of our righteousness, O oh God, uh, but because of who You are, uh, not because of what we've done, uh, but because uh, we are Your people. And we're your people because you say so. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you for that. Your steadfast love endures forever. Uh, help us to live it out and to be a part of it. Wonderful. I'm into that. I'd like to thank my guest this morning. It's been the Reverend Martin Schulteis. He's the Chief Ministry Officer of the Southeastern District of the LCMS. Pastor, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for allowing me. It's been wonderful. Can't wait to have you back on again. Hey, folks, tomorrow I'm joined by the Reverend John Shank, who will help us open up Deuteronomy 10.
Uh, This chapter presents a pivotal moment of renewal and commitment for the Israelites as Moses continues his farewell address. Now, we've heard him recount the sin of the golden calf, the subsequent smashing of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. But now Moses is going to describe how God instructed him to chisel out new stone tablets and construct an ark to house them in. A renewal of that covenant, right, that was broken with the breaking of those tablets. This chapter emphasizes the essence of what God wants for his people, to fear the Lord, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him with all their heart and soul, and to observe his commandments for their own good. We're going to talk about that and a lot more tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org store.